Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Daisy is Careering. I'm an author and a broadcaster, and this podcast is inspired by my brand new novel, Careering. It's a story about the complicated relationship between ambition and anxiety, and what to do when you think your job might be the love of your life, but it's never going to love you back. Every episode, I'm going to be talking to a special guest about their own relationship with what they do for a living, how they have navigated the emotional highs and lows of their career, and how we can find a place for ourselves in a world where there is relentless outside pressure to succeed. How can we work on our own terms? And can we make work work for us? In this episode, I'm talking to the brilliant Natalie Lee, aka Style Me Sunday. Natalie's CV is truly eclectic. She started her career as a midwife and then found her calling as a journalist, blogger, influencer and author. She writes about fashion and style, sex and parenting and so much more. Her first book will be published by Ebury this summer. It's called Feeling Myself, How I Shed My Shame to Find Sexual Freedom and You Can Too. Natalie and I talked about creativity, vulnerability, ambition, sex, shame and roller skating. Enjoy. Natalie, when you were little, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, good question. Um, I wanted to be a psychologist. The reason is, is because uh, I have a half-brother who is schizophrenic and I wanted to help him. I felt like he was in the system and just there was no support and I really hated that he was another statistic and just a, you know, another black boy who was like categorised as mentally unwell. And yeah, I wanted to help him. I felt so powerless. And so that's what I wanted to be. And that's such heavy stuff when you were a kid as well. You must have really been aware of the world in quite a complex and scary way at a time when other children might not have been exposed to that. Yes, I think I, I had the world on my shoulders, um, the weight of the world on my shoulders. But I had uh, a lot of responsibilities as a child, I think. Um, how far down that path did you go? Because I understand um, you have sort of worked as a midwife so that the area I guess of kind of professional care is something that's been a big part of your life and you know looking after people in your work. Yeah I think so I mean I started a um, BSc in psychology but I never completed it. Um, I really struggled with the uh, assignments and handing work in um, on time and just actually doing it I always assumed that it was because I was lazy and because um, or because I wasn't intelligent enough. But I've recently kind of found out I have ADHD. So that has answered a lot of my questions. And it really gives me a much better understanding of why things happened and why they why I didn't end up finishing so many things. 
I think it's so interesting that at the moment, I know a lot of like women in particular, and women in their 30s and 40s who are being diagnosed with ADHD after kind of a lifetime of, especially in things like the traditional office and the way we're expected to work, it not being organised in a way that's sort of sympathetic or accessible for, I think, anyone with any kind of, you know, mental health issue. And certainly as, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I have a generalised anxiety disorder. I've been self-employed for coming up to 10 years and it was such a relief to get out of the office and it's only really recently that I found I was lucky in that I found a way to work for myself and I was just you know so much more productive and so much happier no I could never work in an office that's my idea of a nightmare you know um what I do is so varied I dictate what I do basically I can say yes or no to things um I don't work well under somebody else telling me what to do so yeah I think just having that kind of understanding of a diagnosis just it gave me so much confidence because there was an explanation for why I am like I am and there's lots of things um you know ADHD is very closely linked to autism and I'm also dyslexic and you know I can get obsessive about things and it's just yeah it's just been really eye-opening but you're right a lot of women especially around the 30s and 40s are being diagnosed and and that's because you know ADHD has notoriously been about hyperactive you know disruptive young boys and women have largely been ignored so I do get annoyed sometimes when people are like oh god everyone's got ADHD these days well, yeah, because we've been ignored for so bloody mm. long, you know. That's why we're all getting diagnosed now. But to me, it's been life-changing. It's been um, the most incredible experience um, and has really affected my self-esteem and my confidence because I now understand myself a lot better and I don't just think I'm thick and just lazy. That's huge, I think, especially when it comes to the way that I think we're all sort of socialised to derive a lot of self-esteem from how much we're producing and something that I'm constantly wrestling with is sort of like not tying all of my worth to my work and again I think it starts at school doesn't it we're told like you are these numbers you are these letters yeah absolutely I mean I'm constantly talking about you don't have to be productive all of the time to be of worth and there's so much that can come from being still. Now I've I've really I've really learned that as a creative most of my best work and ideas comes from being still. So now I have a daily practice of meditation. I hate to sound like cliche or twee, but I do do 10 minutes in the morning of meditation and um it's incredible how it allows me to process my thoughts from the day before and and really think about the day ahead whereas before I was I felt like I was just being battered around by life there was no forethought or planning or anything like that and and I was just kind of going with the flow opportunities would come and I'd take them 
But there was no pre-planning yeah. involved. I think a lot of people would really relate to that. And I think a lot of people also look at you and, you know, what you do. And you're so successful and so visible and do so many different things. And I can imagine, I think most people, if you're, I don't know... Um, you work in a shop or you're an accountant or I'm trying to think of other jobs there are teachers <laughs> I don't know most people social media is something that's kind of a hobby and a habit and it's it is social and it's separate from our jobs and that's hard enough to manage but when it's such a huge part of what you do professionally and you know your reputation and your profile and that like reaching for your phone first thing and looking and it's not just oh I want to see what's going on and you know who's up and about and who's in touch but I want to see like what it, what's today going to bring and yeah and I think as you say when I mean it's something I sort of relate to opportunities do sort of seem to fall out of the sky and things yeah. come along that you'd never dream would happen and it becomes it's sort of it's weirdly addictive isn't it I mean I'm not sure how true this is but I think of um, I'm sort of producer Dale will give me clarification but those rumours of like you know in the in the 20s and 30s and sort of silent movie stars being like forced um to snort cocaine so you get another hour's filming out of them or whatever <laughs> and that's not something producer Dale's looking incredulous like what did you make that up but that's it it's like oh this isn't something I made happen myself this is just like this huge adrenaline shot it's it's the dopamine yes yes it's the dopamine so the same like cocaine yes the same like alcohol um you know fast rides anything like that it gives you a dopamine Mm. hit so I mean and social media does it really bloody well and you've not even chosen the dopamine it's not like you know what you're getting when you pick your phone up it's that element of surprise and they're all those um tests and studies aren't there about things sort of like lab rats and if you can either if they get food every time or there's a dispenser where they get food every so often and it's like you sort of have like three bites and one will that's the more addictive one when the the outcome is uncertain anticipation of the unknown Mm. it's kind of like you go on there and you you don't know what you're gonna get Mm. it is it is very addictive and I think what you are probably hinting at is boundaries yeah and talking about how do you separate your life from your work life and social media because you know most of the population use social media just as something to pass the time don't yeah. they and I've made a career out of it and how do I separate that I mean there's... especially when your career is so people follow you and a lot of the work you get comes from you know it's your personality and it's who you are and what you do and that's what people are so you know excited about and interested in yeah I mean it's a it's a really difficult question to answer really but I I've been doing it for over 10 years now so I feel like I have just found a way of managing it um I think when I've been going through really hard times and when I'm really stressed there has definitely been a sense of using it to kind of disconnect mm. with what's going on in my in my life I remember um, before I got divorced, um, I definitely, my ex used to talk about me being on my phone all the time. And I was like, it's my job. But I was on it a lot. And and now I'm not with him. I'm on it far less. For a long time, I was like, oh, it just seems a bit extreme to say I'm addicted to that. But I mean, with work, 
for me, it's always been a way of like numbing and a bit of kind of validation and compartmentalization. And then it's like, it's the one addiction that society not just tolerates, but really, really encourages and says, oh, well done. It's great if you're like so busy, you know, that you're sort of, you're not sleeping. And if you're constantly worrying about, you know, how productive you are and like, oh no, that's good. That's what we want. That's um, that's capitalism triumphing. Yeah. And actually it's really only in the last, well, I mean, I think I knew for a long time, I was like, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> and I sort of keep talking to my therapist, be like, I know this is bad, but I don't quite know why or how it's bad or how to fix it. And she's an incredibly patient, kind woman who's like, you need to work this out for yourself. And I was like, yeah. aha, now I see it. And it's because there are all these other things that I'm sort of mildly, that I use in my relationship borders on abusive, like with food and drinking and yeah. shopping, where... I could just sort of revolve all of the things. So if I was only doing one thing, it would be obvious to the world. <laughs> yes, that it was but bad, you've got lots but... of different things. And we normalise it, yeah, I think, Yeah, we as do. Well. Yeah. You know, you mentioned I used to be a midwife before. Mm. It's, it's funny. I really struggled with the kind of respect and notoriety that came with being in a profession like midwifery and then suddenly when you tell people you're an influencer or you make your money through Instagram there's a kind of there's a kind of snobbery that comes with that profession like with saying that profession to people you know people really do look down their noses because they think that they're not talented or um that they haven't worked hard for it. And I actually had this argument with a friend recently who was like, like, why are all these um, influencers, like, wh- why is all the famous people are just, like, they get millions of followers for doing nothing? And I was like, well, is that the case? I think they probably have been doing something. And, you know, look, I'm going to sound really defensive here, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um it is it is a job it you know you have to put effort into it you have to be a business person you have to negotiate contracts um there's a lot that goes into it that people don't see and i think that people do like to undermine it as a kind of profession often i'm proud of it i get to make a really good living out of it i get to take my children to school and pick them up every single day i get to go to you know travel a lot with it I'm laughing like I don't care if you're going to look down at your nose at me about it I'm the one who's making really good money and really flexible and has basically made a career out of nothing I didn't invest any money into it at all. Atega Uwagba recently wrote about um, parasocial relationships and the way that with social media the boundaries are so blurred and as he's upholding those boundaries and everyone thinks you're their friend I get that a tiny bit I'm sure you get it sort of to the power of a thousand of what I have but you know people are are friendly and you're polite and you sort of know that they're there because they want to connect with you and they want to chat and there's sort of an obligation to kind of to respond and I think you know the way like again the way women are socialized we're not meant to be disruptive that sort yeah. of that's not something that is tolerated and again I think we're sort of expected to you know say yes and thank you yes. and even when we feel quite uncomfortable and in our gut we're like oh I don't really want to have this interaction but you're like lovely thanks <laughs> um 
even with the best will in the world, when you're desperate to kind of uphold those those boundaries and be quite clear and say, look, the relationship I want to have with you is I make things, I hope you enjoy them, that's where it goes. And people who want more. Yesterday I got a DM. They messaged me and said, oh, can you help me gain loads of followers and learn how to become a content creator? And I looked at that and I was so shocked and it was that kind of but that expectation that I was available to be able to give my free time to somebody and and really and like that thing that you have worked so hard and achieved over 10 years could you just mm. like distill that so I could do that in 20 minutes yeah. cheers it's like it, it also it also very rarely happens really quickly you know I I feel like mine has just evolved fairly slowly over those 10 years. I love the, I don't know if you know um, the mid-alt. I love yes, those guys. I and love they them. coined the phrase asshole, which I think Ooh, is fabulous. Is that the Google one? Just ask Google. <laughs> because that's the other thing I get. There's a lot of mm, questions and but, I'm like, come on, you could just Google yes. that. Um, Someone asking that not only is rude and outrageous, I think it really... I get very annoyed by it because I feel as though it really it cheapens what I do yeah. and how hard I work. Again, yeah. sorry, that sounds quite. Defensive. But I think, but on the flip side, right? I think I'm very, very willing to, as you say, like champion others, to give out my contacts. I mean, the amount of people I've introduced to my literary agent, you know, is is a lot. Um, so, if I've got a relationship with somebody, I'm very, very happy to lift them up and give them advice and give my time for free because Mm. I you know I've had that from other people so that's okay and also the other thing I do want to counter is that the people that follow me are essentially the people who pay for my wages I guess in a roundabout way not actively or um, directly but but they the are. reason that brands want to work with you yeah. is because they ultimately, they want to have a relationship with you because you have a relationship with exactly. them. Exactly. So, the... so it's a very fine line between my responsibility to them mm. and my boundaries about keeping some sort of self-preservation mm. and, and, and some energy for myself. So there is that sort of fine line which makes it a little bit more confusing, yeah. doesn't it? It's not just one sort of like, oh, like that's mm. really rude and that's a lot of expectation. But also I do get a lot of a lot of messages where people divulge very personal, mm. sometimes traumatic experiences. And I find that sometimes difficult to deal with. Yeah. I think you should always ask before you offload on somebody. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they've been through. Um that is tricky and then I feel a huge amount of guilt if somebody has just poured their heart out about a very horrific experience and I don't message back Mm. I'm I'm not a professional counsellor or therapist I don't have those skills so I don't think I'm the right person to come to and that's the funny thing about the work that I do people think you're 
a good person to go through to for lots of different mm. things and actually no I'm kind of introducing topics to yeah. you but it's about you reflecting on it yourself not I, I can't give you that in-depth really professional advice that's hard <laughs> and I really love that piece that you wrote for Grazia about body image and about having you know a body that sort of really fluctuated in the oh, pandemic gosh, yes. and that I met that's such a a topic that I think so many people you know relate to and I definitely I felt so sort of so reassured by it and so moved by it and I loved your your honesty it was such a kind of a liberating piece to read but also as a journalist and a writer I know you would not have been like giving every single thing away you wrote a very careful piece of journalism that had your personal experience within it but is obviously you have contextualized it in a way that that's sort of readable and I've had that one. I've written about um, changing my relationship with food and losing yeah. weight and people saying, well, you know, what did you do? And I'm like, well, I feel weird about... Yeah. I can talk about the emotional side of things to a point, but also I never want to say to anyone, this is the plan I followed because yeah. I don't. I know myself how complicated so that tricky. can be. It's so tricky. Um, but before I forget, I really, really, really want to talk about your book, which is coming out, is that this summer? It is. It's coming June. out around June. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And what's it called? Have you got a title yet? So it's called Feeling Myself. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and it's about releasing sexual shame and finding freedom. Um, it goes through trauma. It goes through um, virginity. Um, I don't like that concept, but, you know, that's the best kind of mm. thing for it. Um it goes through masturbation and marriage, sex and marriage, sex after marriage, loads of things, sex education, talking to your children about it. Um, it's deeply personal. It was one of the hardest things I will probably ever do. It upset quite a few people. I had to have quite a few conversations, very difficult conversations with people. It's a really it's it's really hard to get it right to you want to tell your story because I want to be honest and open and I want people to you know resonate with Mm. it but often our story involves other people Mm. and how do you protect them while sharing your real heartfelt truth that was the most difficult thing about writing this book I hope, you know, I've got the balance fairly, fairly right. Um, But I had to have like a lot of counselling, a lot of therapy through it. Um, My therapist was like, "Um, you're kind of doing this the wrong way round. I feel like you should have had therapy before the book. Um, I, I kind of went into it because I've always wanted to write a book. I've always felt like I've got... I've got a story I want to share. I've always kind of felt that it's a it's something that I haven't been able to talk about often. And I guess I did have therapy in order to be able to write the book, but I probably should have had therapy specifically around writing the book and what that would bring up. I'm really nervous and really excited. I really hope it's going to be received well. Um, my publisher's 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. ...have said, you'll be able to help me with this, Daisy. My publishers have said, don't read the reviews at all. We'll read the reviews for you and feedback... I don't know, as a person with ADHD and who, you know, has those kind of impulsivity issues, I don't know how I'm going to be able to not read those reviews. Tell me. Well, to be candid, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this. Uh, for my new book, I got a, um, I got a negative review in The Times and I saw it and my friend had seen it um, and my, she sort of messaged me and my heart started beating quite oh quickly. God. And then she said, how jealous is this woman? I'm like, oh, that's not good, is it? Oh, she's not going to like it. So I got producer Dale to read it and I got <laughs> some friends to look at it and I just decided, I thought, you know what? I know I am going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and the worst bits of that review, they're going to be in my head like a song. Yes. I do not want that. I don't want to give it house room. Absolutely. But also, um, I wrote a book called How to Be a Grown-Up that was sort of part, like, memoir and has lots of, like, there's a, there's a chapter on masturbation. But, you know, it's really frank. And yes. again, I think, you know, like you, I'm so, so excited about feeling myself. I'm really, really, <laughs> quite, I promise I will give it five, ten stars. So have you read the review? Um, so I've not read the Times review, no. Wow. I read all the reviews for How to Be a Grown-Up and I remember getting a one-star review on Amazon on holiday and my family were like sitting around the pool and like on sun lounges and I was like in the dark, feeling yes. like a worm, feeling like I hated this oh, guy, I hated myself. And it's only because I've, I've read enough reviews to know I don't need to read them. Because I don't know about you, I'm really, I say I'm really sensitive, like a, oh, I'm a little delicate flower. But... <laughs> I feel my feelings so bodily, oh, like I'm just so, shivering and yes. shaking and emotionally quite often it's more of a physical it's a feeling. feeling before yes. it's a thought. 100%. I'm really glad you said that. And also, you know, let's not be ashamed of feeling all of our feelings. For far too long, I was very disconnected from my feelings you know my mind and my body were essentially disconnected but that was related to PTSD and trauma of early childhood um I've really worked hard at connecting back to my body and my feelings but fuck me the flip side of that is I really feel my feelings and sometimes I'm like hmm should I have done all this work to feel them because they're intense aren't they really intense because that's the other thing that if we are doing those things that numb us out and as soon as we make a really positive change 
we think, oh, I'll do this and I'll feel better and I'll feel happier. Like, no, this is horrible. Yeah. I'm feeling everything now yes. and I don't like it. Honestly, I have said that uh, quite a lot. But, you know, then I wasn't experiencing the joy and the happiness mm. and the connectedness to people that I love. So so there's definitely upsides, but I didn't, you're, you're right, I really didn't expect the intensity of the really uncomfortable feelings that I had pushed away for so long. That That is a revelation to me, and boy, is it hard. I guess what I love so much about what you do and you know why I'm a fan of yours is that you're so you're so resonant I think when you talk about pleasure and making room for that and how I think I mean I don't know a woman I don't know a human who hasn't been in pain and been afraid and who hasn't pushed feelings away and I think that we do all neglect pleasure and we don't make room for it because when we allow ourselves to feel pleasure we're allowing everything in and it's such a vulnerable thing to do that our impulse and our instinct is to build a shell and we're like no I'd rather just not feel anything so true and the joy we risk missing yeah so true I remember I remember after I had my first first daughter I was like where is that instant bond that everyone talks about that a mother has for a child where is that huge rush of love and adrenaline and I didn't experience that because I was so shut down and disconnected so I grieve that loss um but yeah it's taken a long time to work on that because um, pregnancy as well I guess I've never been pregnant but the the changes and the feelings and your everything is happening to your body and I think we do people a great disservice by sort of when we say oh no it's it's natural and we've been doing it you know since the beginning of time it's like well no that's still yeah. missing out on this sort of huge I don't want to assume anything but my guess is that pregnancy can be joyous and thrilling but also terrifying and I think our bodies it's so important to us to be able to control our bodies especially when we have body image issues which I think is everyone and so definitely all women I would say when you're really going out of your way to sort of to shut down everything and you feel something different and weird and you're like that's scary I don't want to go into that num 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 yeah and so how how do you have the the connection when I'm making air quotes here supposed to feel (laughs) after nine months of terror and trying to be numb and trying not to think of all the anxious things a person I don't know I don't know because I, I I didn't feel that um I definitely I definitely did feel it more with my second daughter but yeah I probably I probably had a bit of postnatal depression I think with with my first and I just never recognized it I think another sort of aspect about being a woman is that we really do try and cope and um, paper over the cracks and especially when you become a mother you just you know, you just want to do everything. I was so sort of caught up into the role of a mother, what I should be doing, what everyone else was telling me to do. And there's so much different advice 
it was really difficult to navigate. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I think we've just got to be open and honest and have these conversations and say, it's, it is okay if you were feeling numb. It's okay if you didn't have that bond with your child. It's okay if you don't like your partner and don't feel like, you know, having sex sometimes. Let's, let's just be honest about the connection issues that a lot of us are having. And then let's, yeah, let's discuss it. And that's what people need to hear and what resonates. I don't think people necessarily want to follow people who are like, oh, look at my shiny, fabulous life where everything's organised and perfect and lovely. It's the... <laughs> they won't get that with women. me. <laughs> but that's... It's so powerful now and it's so new. Bryony Gordon's really good on this idea of sort of how, like, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. It sometimes feels like the most trite and annoying phrase in the world, but we don't really have anything that does the job better. That we're like, we need something that goes a little deeper, but also it is okay not to be okay. <laughs> It absolutely is. And I think, you know, one of the things I try and get across on social media, which is difficult um, because you, you know, you don't want to go rambling on, is to just that kind of balance between having like a sort of healthy state of mind Mm. and mental health issues. But they're quite extreme. What about the kind of everyday nuance of struggles that we're having Mm. Emma Thompson talked about looking in a mirror the other day and noticing that she couldn't just stand in front of a Mm. mirror and 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 look at herself you put yourselves in these kind of poses you know when when uh you're having a picture taken you automatically suck in your Mm. stomach and you know turn your hip because that makes you look less wide and you know all of these mental processes that are going on in our head because of social conditioning and you know what we've been kind of taught that we're basically not good enough it's a lot there's a lot to process and so much going on in our heads all of the time it's those tiny everyday things that I think is the really sort of important Mm. things to talk about I mean obviously the big things like mental health and depression and anxiety is also really big but you know these other things they seep into our lives they seep into our psyche on a everyday every second basis it sounds like such a silly silly thing but one of the first things I remember learning when I was a kid in terms of, you know, life advice, and it wasn't sort of positive or profound. It's like, you should never wear horizontal stripes because yes. they make you look fat. Like, how much space has that been taken up? And just that fear of kind I've of... I've carried that for a long time. And, yeah. I mean, obviously the popularity of the Breton top means that we have managed <laughs> to shake it off. But what a weird thing to... Grow- like, I was you know at a time when I should not have been conscious of my body at all and just running around and you know feeling free and trying to like get up trees and stuff I was like oh like avoid like horizontal stripes they were like you know what if I fall in quicksand another childhood fear yeah I know and and the other thing that I have noticed that I'm really passionate about is that um girls especially are told that they can't you know they have to be careful about what they wear what they show I had a bit of a disagreement with one of the teachers at the school because she said she had to take all of the girls aside 
because she noticed that they started rolling up their skirts and, you know, putting makeup on and things like that. And I'm like, did you just speak to the girls or did you speak to the boys as well? Because this isn't just a a female issue. Mm. This is really natural. You know, it's they're coming to an age where they want to be attractive and we all want to be validated by other people. It's human nature. Let's not shame girls and say that their bodies are wrong and enticing and Mm. that the onus is all on them to hide them away and it just kind of perpetuates that level of shame that women often feel for just being fucking human and having a body yes that's the thing that I feel like I wish I'd heard and I never did like it is normal to want people to fancy you you can you can be a feminist and care about that stuff and like you sort of you can't sort of fight your your culture when I think of you know the complicated messages that we all grow up with anyway and sometimes feeling as though the headlines are there was a meeting you weren't invited to the meeting, but we've all decided this is how everything is now. You're like, hold on, let me catch up. And I think, you know, that for me is what I've been doing for the, I think, well, do you know what, for the, probably for the last 10 years, maybe, no, maybe since I had my daughters, because once I gave birth to another human, It made me see the world through fresh eyes again. And then I started questioning everything. I started to think, hold on, but is that film a good message? Is it normal? Is it intrinsic for girls to dream about getting married, to dream about, you know, having children and a car and... All of these things that have been kind of fed to Mm. us, they've kind of been delivered to us on our plate and we've ate it. Yeah. And we haven't really consciously chosen it. So I think for me that changed when I did have children and I was able to then go, hold on, hold on. Is this, is this real? Like... And where has this come from? Is this about my own needs and wants and desires? Or is it about the society as a whole? It's really difficult to extrapolate that. But um, that is something that I've been trying to do and trying to talk about and trying to talk to my children about and navigate. Mm. I mean, I mean, how how do you? Because it's so ingrained. Sort of on that theme, this is a big question. And, you know, I don't know that you'll have an answer. And maybe it's not fair to expect one. But I was thinking about... <laughs> You're you know, going to ask it anyway. I am going to ask it anyway. <laughs> you know, the theme of the podcast being on our relationship with work and ambition. Have you got thoughts and ideas about how to bring up children and make them feel talented and full of potential and that they can pursue anything and that you know ambition is empowering for them but at the same time that they don't have to be perfect productivity machines who excel god it's such a fine line isn't it um I think one of one of the things I often say to them and again this is going to sound really cliche but is that I really just do want them to be happy and 
if a career makes them happy, if, you know, travelling around the world and with a backpack makes them happy, then I, I want that for them. I think just sort of opening up the conversations, just questioning them. You know, my oldest daughter does talk a lot about getting, you know, wanting to get married and have a baby. And I just say, you know that that's not your only choice, don't mm. you? And just just trying to sort of gently let them know that they have choices is all I can do, really. Sometimes, though, it does feel like I'm fighting fires because from every direction, from adverts, from TV, from social media, from their friends, they're getting fed stories mm. about roles that they should be fulfilling yeah and that's difficult to counteract but you know I'm just gotta try my best that's all I can do I really am so encouraged and excited about the fact that you talked about happiness and the thing that I really felt when I was a kid and I wished it'd been different was that there was a sense that oh when you get x y and z you can be happy happiness is just visible yes Mm -hmm. and actually being happy in the moment it comes again and it's not like oh be miserable for six months or 10 years or however long and then when you get to happiness it'll be permanent like happiness is fleeting so often we're goal-oriented because of the way we make we think something's going to make us feel we do and it so rarely rarely does and just about noticing happiness moment by moment and not attaching it to a possession or an achievement but attaching it to kind of noticing what's good about the world around you Absolutely. The beauty is in the detail and the magic is often in the journey. And it's just about really, you know, taking a moment to realise that. I did a post on acknowledging and having a moment to honour our achievements I think we're so busy, we're always on to the next thing, you know, get a book out, get then get the next book out, mm. or, you know, go here, go there. And there, there's, it's great, it's great to have ambition, and I love that I am ambitious, but I have achieved so fucking much in the last two years, especially since being single, it was actually during a therapy session because there had been quite a big gap between my last one and I reeled off everything I'd been doing to my therapist recently and she was like, what? Hold on, this is incredible. I, you know, I've just started um, a counselling course, I've just been to LA, I've, you know, I've got a book coming out this year. I have done stuff that I've been dreaming about for the last 20 years and it's all happening in this year. Where is the moment to like celebrate that? Yeah. We don't stop and celebrate our achievements. And and I really like sat back and I was like, bloody hell, Nat, you've done really bloody well. For sure. Yeah. So I just want to encourage everyone to like think about where you were three years ago and think about what you've achieved in the last three years and you know, I'm sure that person would be really bloody proud of who you are today and what you've done. And I think that so often we things that feel so big become normal quite quickly. Yes. And I was thinking about when you talked about your book and how that's everything that you wanted to do and you always dreamed of writing it. And that's 
huge and that's so it exciting is. and that's so incredible but now you've written it the dream has become a reality I've definitely had this where things I've dreamed about have happened and I'm like well you know it's I feel like I'm sort of it's like the Wizard of Oz and I've you know gone and seen a little man with levers and like oh it's no big deal I'm like, no it's still a big deal it's still a big deal that's something I think really powerful and positive about therapy as well is there's a sort of oh this is where you go and talk about your your trauma and your sorrow and how dreadful everything is like yeah sometimes yes but (laughs) hooray for the brilliant professionals who are able to consider look look objectively you are killing it well bloody done yeah she's really good at that my therapist actually she's really good at reminding me at where I started because I was literally like a mess on the floor to where I am now and it's always yeah it's it's really helpful to reflect on that so I'm grateful for that. Um, I could honestly talk to you for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> but very sadly, I think our time might be drawing to a close. So I wanted to finish by asking you, what does the phrase dream job mean to you? And has that changed over the years? I know, you know, at the very beginning, I said when I was a kid, I wanted to be a psychologist. But since being an adult, I don't think I had that dream job in my head. I think I'm probably doing it right now. I think... I get to talk about what I'm doing. I get to basically divulge my healing, my trauma, my insights. My, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm always right because I often make mistakes. And I also will be very honest about that and say that I don't always get it right. But what I'm doing now is, it's my thing. I'm good at doing it. I make good money doing it. Um, so yeah, I think this is this is it. This is my dream job. I love that. That's such a positive answer. <laughs> What's my dream job? This is. And you know, what if it is sort of that you're, you're contributing to so many significant conversations and to people's lives. And the fact that, you know, people are sort of saying like, can you teach me how to be an influencer and get loads of followers? Mm-hmm. Or even like, I need to tell you about this awful thing that happened to me. You know, maybe you're not even getting in touch at all, but just love following you and feel healed and uplifted and understood and, you know, and feel joy when they see all different parts of your me life that you're sharing. Prancing around in my underwear, which is usually the case. That and the, you know, <laughs> roller skate content. <laughs> Do you know how many people talk to me about the roller skate content? I haven't done that for such a long time, but it clearly inspired a lot of people in lockdown because I was roller skating around my kitchen, just to give context, (laughs) roller skating around my kitchen in lockdown. It was my new little hobby. You know, I, as um, many people with ADHD, I have lots of little hobbies <laughs> that I then um, very quickly put down. But I enjoyed it whilst it was locked down. Um, Natalie, it's been such a joy talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed that. Huge thanks to Natalie. Her book, Feeling Myself, is available to pre-order. And I strongly suggest you go for it now as a gift to future you in June. Thank you so much for listening to Daisy is Careering. The podcast is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast, with special thanks to Sphere. My novel, Careering, is published by Sphere and out now. It's available in hardback from all online bookshops with a special signed edition available from Waterstones. It's also available from Amazon where you can find the ebook, the audiobook read by Celine Buckins and Joe Hartley on Audible. 
For now, I leave you with this from Parks and Recreation's Leslie Nope. There's nothing we can't do if we work hard, never sleep and shirk all other responsibilities in our lives. Thanks for listening. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.